Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 70. Screwtape proposes a toast, Part 2, Quantity over Quality. Welcome everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where Matt, Andrew and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. Earlier this season, we were eavesdropping on Screwtape's letters, but this month we're working through a different book, Screwtape Proposes a Toast. And once again, I'm joined by Dr. Brenton Dickerson from the blog A Pilgrim in Narnia. Last week, we learnt a few important things, primarily that Brenton and I don't move quickly enough through the text when we get excited, and so we wrapped up that episode and immediately hit record again to record another episode, that's today's episode, where we would have a chance to go through the rest of the text which we initially planned to get through in that first episode. Now, obviously, we're going to need a song of the week, and since the section we're going to talk about today is all about quantity over quality, I thought Blake Shelton's The More I Drink was appropriate. In that song, he says, Well, if I have one, I'll have 13. Nah, there ain't no in-between, because the more I drink, the more I drink. And the quote of the week comes from this section of Screwtape's Toast, where he says, The great and toothsome sinners are made out of the very same material as those horrible phenomena, the great saints. The virtual disappearance of such material may mean insipid meals for us, but is it not utter frustration and famine for the enemy? (sighs) Toothsome sinners, right? (laughs) This is definitely one of the pieces that a a gourmand or a restaurateur, a foodie, uh, a food blogger would would like to spend some time, I think, in the the toast, if they have a good sense of humor, right? You have to get it. It's a bit weird, but yeah. I would love it if there was a chef that was a huge C.S. Lewis fan. They would actually come up with all of the dishes that he talks about in the section that we're going to read. (laughs) I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah, no, I want to try the graph sauce for sure. So. <laughs> Maybe at one of the CS Lewis conferences. Mm-hmm, absolutely. This, this, this can work. <laughs> As for the drink of the week, we're just finishing off our drinks from the previous episode, a rum and coke and a 15-year Dalwini, respectively. And since we haven't got anyone new to toast, well, let's press on and do a summary for today's text. Screwtape says that the night's meal was quantity over quality. He explains this isn't such a bad thing, as there is a risk in producing great sinners. Their depravity might cause them to repent. He explains that the devils best draw souls to hell by muddling human language and the creation of vice through repetition, which builds a deliberate yet unarticulated rejection of grace. Hell's current strategy might produce mostly insipid sinners, but it also reduces the number of great saints and turns most people into sheep who can be easily guided by just a few celebrities. So there you go. There was my 100-word summary. The last time we spoke, we got to the point where Screwtape had concluded that the meal they just consumed was quantity over quality. And in the section we're going to look at today, he asks, is this a good thing? That's right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that's really the core of the question, right? And so we set it up last time talking about the great moment. Uh, Screwtape goes through these three courses and then says, of course, I don't blame the principal for what seems to be kind of, you know, sallow fare, right? This kind of, uh, is the word insipid? Does he use the word insipid? He uses the word insipid. Yeah, yeah right. Like you go to the the fine dining restaurant and it's one thing to get this tiny little plate with 
you know, for a hundred dollars. It's another thing to get warm food when it's supposed to be either cold or hot, right? And there really is a kind of a tastelessness that happens in that kind of moment. But I think this is kind of the key of this particular section is that we really get to the point of asking the question that Screwtape is proposing. You know, the hordes of hell, are, is the, the bad side, is the demon side, are they winning just because there's so much fair, so much food, so many folks kind of that, that just kind of tumble in their direction? Or is there still something they want to reach for, like in the great centers of the past and like Hitler and Farinati and Casanova, and there's a bunch of uh, Henry VIII that were mentioned, right? And that's kind of the tension that we have playing. Is that that right so far? Yeah. And Screwtape has said that what they dined on that night, they were very poor quality souls. Mm. Uh, and when he was describing that, I was reminded of the great divorce. Mm. Uh, he describes these souls as residual puddles of what once was a soul. They're hardly worth damning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a thing. It's an idea that is one of the the ones that we're going to struggle with. I think for most of us readers, not from kind of Lewis's literary world, that are going to come and and struggle. We're going to struggle in this section of the project. I think of the toast. I think as we kind of think through what it means to be a soul not worth damning, a soul that doesn't yeah. have substance to it. So yeah, so that's what we want to walk talk through. I think. And Scrooge does seem to see some value in these souls being damned, simply because God thought them worth trying to save. Mm-hmm. And, and although he can't really understand the reason, the logic behind <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense to him. Yeah. Uh, but he still thinks this is a good thing just to spite the enemy. And it's something to praise their tempters for having achieved. Yeah, that's right. It's an interesting question that I don't think that we have an answer to necessarily. But one that's proposed by the text, I think at one point he says, you would be amazed at like how much energy, how much kind of intricate work goes into every single soul that finds its way to our father's house, to, to hell. Um, is, it, is it harder to win a soul to heaven or to win a soul to hell? And, and this is kind of one of the really intriguing things. In one sense, Screwtape seems to think he's winning, Right. Mm-hmm. But in another sense, there's a tremendous amount of work going through. And I, I, do you see the the kind of the interesting question? I think that's definitely a paradox. It actually reminds me of mere Christianity, where Lewis tries to answer the question, is Christianity hard or easy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. And the answer is it's both. Mm. And I would say heaven or hell, it's the same. In some ways, it is so easy to get a soul to go to heaven, turn to God, repent. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But it's also really easy to get a soul to hell, turn away from God. Don't repent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're going to see this really. And then a, another dynamic that um, future conversations will have to tackle that the, the soul is, is, is a, a never more in danger when it's, than when it's near the altar, right? Yeah. Right. So we're not, we're going to discover in a, in, in a couple of episodes that we're not safe to simply being in the church, being in the community of God or being a communicant or, or um, being on the streets uh, with the poor or whatever. There's a kind of a spiritual danger that increases. It's the stuff yeah. from which Pharisees are made. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, the fa- Pharisees of all, all sorts and blends, I think, right? So... But that does at least require some conviction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the souls that he's talking about having just consumed, he says they're just so muddled, so mm-hmm. passively responsive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the central question that's addressed in the remaining section that we're going to look at today is how far do you have to get somebody to hell? 
because for Screwtape, there's a real balancing act. Yeah. He says the ones that they consumed, he says they were so passively responsive that it was very hard to raise them to the level of clarity and deliberateness at which mortal sin becomes possible. Hmm. Yeah, the fatal, sorry to interrupt, the, to raise them just enough, but not that fatal millimeter of too much. So, so uh, a millimeter for those that are just kind of listening <laughs> in from the American audience that this was supposed to have kind of been pitched to to begin with is pretty small. So uh, I don't I don't know what that uh, what that is. I think two and a, two and a half centimeters in an inch, so twenty five millimeters, so one twenty fifth of an inch, so tiny amount. Yeah, hair. And it's it's all about getting them far enough across, but not too far. Mm. Uh, and and the, the the trouble if you take them too far is that they will see their own depravity mm. and then repent, and then everything's lost. Mm. Yeah. But he then says, on the other hand, if you try and take them across this threshold too little, um, it's a very interesting section here. He says uh, they would very possibly have qualified for limbo as creatures suitable neither for heaven nor for hell. That is, having failed to make the grade, are allowed to sink into a more or less contented subhumanity forever. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to talk about limbo, wouldn't you say? So we've, yeah, absolutely. We, we kind of, <laughs> we're talking about heaven and hell, and we recognize, or what we're trying to do is awaken more uh, the sense of the spiritual presence. So what I um, argued last time is that Lewis talks about the imaginative conception of 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 spirituality of spiritual life and, and that's what works like his own and Dante's does so is limbo so I mean you're Roman Catholic right and so mm -hmm. limbo is Byzantine beer. yeah Byzantine okay so Catholic which makes which complicates matters even yes more, that's but, right but... yeah sure <laughs> well that, that's kind of interesting then like Lewis continually uses even though he's not Catholic, uh, he's Anglican. He continues to use limbo and purgatory as part of his conversation, like right up to Letters to Malcolm, which is mm -hmm. his last uh, Christian book, uh, and actually it's published after he dies. And so, so he he continues to do this. Like, what's the basic idea? What's a cowboy version of limbo from <laughs> from your your side of things? Well, it, it's a very flexible term, and it's meant different things to different people throughout time. Catholics from the last century will, might have heard that uh, limbo is where baptized, unbaptized babies go. Yeah. Uh, but more broadly, and what, this, what I think is the primary influence on Lewis is Dante. Mm -hmm. uh, because limbo is it's a theological speculation and there's been much disagreement about it. Uh, but in Dante's Inferno, limbo is actually the first circle of hell. Yeah. And there he does put the unbaptized souls and the virtuous pagans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even though it's in hell, it's actually quite nice. <laughs> yeah, and they're not, but they're not terribly awake, right? There's not, they're not bright, right? No, no. In in my reading of it, and I like you, I like the way you said blurry term because it's kind of a blurry space, mm -hmm. right? A, a, there's a lostness even within. You can't go anywhere, but there's kind of a, a little bit of a lostness. It's not, I think some people might be tempted to say something like, well, I guess I'll be okay or something, but it's not, <laughs> it's not a living space. Um, and, and, and yeah, and I like, I like how you brought up this quote that from, I believe this would be a letter from the 5th of April, 1939. Is that right? So yeah. Yeah. Lewis, I think starts off well, someone asked him about limbo and he says, I don't pretend to have any information on the state of the virtuous unbeliever. 
or limbo, right? So he's honest about the fact that like he doesn't have anything. But Lewis always just keeps imagining about these things, right? He's always playing with it. Uh, the perishing everlastingly uh, st- state he imagines in this letter is quite jolly, whereas heaven's an acquired taste, right? I think this is opposite of the way that we would walk around, like limbo as a space of kind of blankness and heaven as a space of, you know, filled with wonder and grace, that kind of thing. But for Mm -hmm. Lewis, heaven is hard, like heaven is dangerous. Heaven is the place where our soul is entirely open, where our self is entirely given over. And so I think until we're fully transformed into that person into that being of the selfless being who's then come into the new self in god's power we're going to find heaven uncomfortable and you you mentioned the great divorce it's hard to walk on the grass Mm -hmm. you know the rain would shatter you right Uh, the yeah yeah it's a it's it's such a contrast i think yeah but limbo isn't like that in in that letter he says uh there there are grand libraries endless (laughs) discussions and no colds yeah he says there will be a faint melancholy because you'll all know that you've missed the bus yeah great divorce nod yeah Yeah, Uh, but he says but that will be the subject for poetry (laughs) he says the scenery is pleasant though tame the climate endless autumn Endless, always autumnal. So what, always a fading season? Is that what we were supposed to read that as? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some life, but not too much. That's right. It's so intriguing. And I I, I know we want to keep reading these letters as about kind of our world, our lives, right? But they do sit in some tension to kind of what Lewis seems to be doing in various paces, right? Lewis almost seems to have the idea that Pope Benedict XVI suggests about purgatory which is Christ is like the purgatorial reality after death or something like that. Is that he is the fire? He is yeah. the fire, right? Um, Lewis says at one point in letters to Malcolm, you know, look, imagine like slipping over to the other side, right? You know, imagine being invited to a king's house. Like, wouldn't you say, yes, I want to come, but can I, can I have a bath and brush my teeth? Yeah. And our souls are like that. And he, Lewis kept this idea of some sort of, I think, uh, renewal, some sort of cleansing, some sort of uh, recovery of the self, the new self throughout his life. And so I think he, I don't know, he would have called it purgatory with a capital P as a place. Yeah. But the way that. And, and, and to qualify, it's not a place per se. Even yeah, that's in Catholic right. Theology. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, and so I think the way that uh, Pope Benedict the 16th noted it is is i think of course benedict the 16th was a reader of c.s lewis too mm-hmm. and didn't say things till he had thought about them for a long time so yeah. so he had it was it took a like that was you know after 50 years of theology writing that he wrote that so it's it's an intriguing thing and i think catholic thoughts kind of gone in that sort of direction i think that that's not a bad way now does this make some sort of Protestant or evangelical listeners a bit anxious, I wonder? Yeah. Probably a little bit. Yeah. But I always tell people they don't need to worry about that so much because yeah. everybody really believes in purgatory. It's just a question of the details. Everybody believes that they're going to be transformed when they come into Christ's presence. Yeah. And to what degree are we kind of awake and involved in that process of transformation? Like to what degree or, you know, or is it immediate or something? I think, I think that as... In my evangelical tradition, I would say something like that. Yeah, no, there's absolutely needs to be a transformation. That transformation was done on the cross, and we awake in heaven or or enter heaven 
with that transformation, at least in process or something. But I do think there's spiritual value in remembering that heaven is hard, that that heaven heaven has flames, I think is the way that Rob Bell put it, yeah. I've often compared heaven to Aslan yeah, insofar sure. as it's not a tame land. Mm-hmm. But he, he's not good, but he's safe. Or, or sorry, he's not he's safe. He's not safe, but he's good. But he's good. <laughs> <laughs> leave, that, you leave that mistake in. I think that's a good one. Uh, and yeah, because how often do we want the safe and we're not terribly worried about the good, right? Which is part of the warm bath of culture problem that we're dealing with in this in this chunk of the screw tape toast is the temptation to to fall back into whatever is just normal, whatever is easy, whatever our habits or our culture uh, suggest, and uh, and there's not nothing to deal with there. I think in screw tape's view, spiritually we're hobbits. We just want lots of good meals and a warm hole to sit and sit in and read and occasionally smoke a pipe. Yeah, well, is it the Tooks or the or the Baggins? I guess spiritually we're more the Tooks, right? Yeah, and then the well, I think I think that's I think actually Lewis used exactly that example. So for him, in his conversion, part of his awakening we know came from Fantasties, which was a book by George MacDonald that he said baptizes imagination. And awakened him to this kind of realm of holiness and possibility and things like that. And we forget a couple of things about that. The baptism is a kind of death. Mm. And so there's a loss there that happens. Well, what's that loss? Well, Lewis actually said it came from another author, William Morris. And William Morris's Welt at the End of the World had a way for Lewis of making him always uncomfortable with just being able to relax in his chair with his pipe and a book, which he would just do for the rest of his life. There was something about William Morris's writings that made him need to go on further and get out and do the uncomfortable and to pursue the adventure. And I think that um, the combination of those two are what uh, brought brought Lewis uh, Lewis's imaginative life open to the idea of faith and possibility, even though one was a Christian and one was an atheist or a secularist. That together they worked in tandem. And I think I think Lewis probably would have been preferred a life of just being left alone to his <laughs> not his interfered comp- with, not interfered with. Some days, some days, David, I <laughs> I understand this feeling. <laughs> so let's just put a bow on that section. Sure. So. We just went down the rabbit hole of the section where yeah. Screwtape is saying we want to get these souls over the line. He he talks about to the point of clarity and deliberateness at which mortal sin becomes possible. Uh, and if you're from a tradition that doesn't have mortal sin, just go and look in 1 John 5.16, where John talks about a kind of sin that leads to death. We can have arguments over exactly what that means later. Uh, but Lewis does seem to uh, concord with the idea that I would have regarding mortal sin. Because in the Catholic conception, you can only commit a mortal sin if you reach three conditions. That the sin is grave matter, was committed with full knowledge and deliberate intent. Mm. Which in English just means that the person did something really bad, knew it was really bad, but did it anyway. And Screwtape has just explained that we've been getting them over the line, but there's a danger if we push them too far or too low. There's a there's a happy medium. He he was he was a fan of Aristotle's golden golden mean. 
<laughs> well, we talked about reversion to the meme in a previous episode, right? And <laughs> that statistic, uh, statisticians always talk about. Yeah, no, I think I think we don't have to have a fine sense of limbo or a fine sense of mortal sin to really capture what we know in our own lives to be a couple of things. One is the difference between kind of the habits we struggle with, the the ways we react sometimes without even kind of knowing. The, the cultures we create and then have to uncreate and things like that for our life. So we, we know that kind of world. And then the things that we set out to do in kind of full knowledge. Okay, so there's that. I think we can, we can gra- grasp that reality. On the other side, what kinds of souls do we want to be? Would we want to be souls that didn't even warrant hell? <laughs> Would we want to be souls that just landed in this library... Uh, catalog of of unremarkable souls, souls that had no dent on the universe, right? I th- I don't like. I don't know. Like I don't. I hope I'm not arrogant in saying I actually want to to be a bit more dangerous to the cause of hell than than that. I don't know. It sort of reminds me of a quotation that I heard that said that our great fear isn't such that we would make huge mistakes. It's just that we would spend our lives concerned with the wrong things and just not be worth noticing. Oh, yeah, but you know, isn't life kind of like this though? Like it could be that I'll have a great um, battle to fight of some kind. Uh, and, and I've had things, you know, my mom died, my dad died, my brother died, my sister-in-law died, my cousin died. Like, I mean, there's things, you know, um, mental health struggles and, you know, I've been a nomadic scholar for years and years, right? So there's lots of struggles, but I find the Monday to Monday, hour in and hour out, the Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill, the rock <laughs> rolling down the hill, the paying of bills and then turning and making sure all the lights are turned off and taking the garbage out on Tuesdays and, you know, and paying taxes each spring and clicking these boxes and filling out forms and, and all these hundreds and little email, email after email. I just find that just more soul wearying than the great battles that I've had to fight. I don't know. Am, am I alone? Am I, is this weird for I don't. I don't think you're alone. I mean, I, I've I've done some wild things in my life where I just quit my job, went to Spain, and walked across it. <laughs> sure, you did the Camino, did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did the Camino, and part of it was I. I was just ground down by life. Sure, I was a little scared about walking across yeah, the country sure. and quitting my job and doing all of these other things. But I sort of reached the point where I would just prefer to to have a great adventure, even if it's a huge mistake. It's it's kind of like the uh, the ghost with the lizard when he's talking to the angel in the great divorce and the he says but i might die and the angel says well would that be such a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i just yeah it's not that i need to make a big difference or something i just i guess i'm a, i'm more afraid of limbo than hell when it comes to these sorts of things even if we're just speaking metaphorically like the idea of just slipping away oh well that was interesting to hear, not well done, good and faithful servant, but uh, meh. Yeah, yeah, okay, you know, so, you know, uh, we can't, we can't, and, I, and there's going to be some people shocked about the way we talk about heaven or hell or something. We're not negating their realities, but we are talking about them as living realities in us now, and so we have to kind of deal with the the the, the thing in us, right? Or else I don't think we're taking these letters and this toast 
uh, in the right light, right? So anyway. Yeah, I'd also say it's the only way you can really take it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the balancing acts between levity and gravity, right, is is there too. So the fine the, fi the fine line, right, would you call it uh, Aristotle's meme or yeah, yeah. golden mean, yeah. Mean. Let's let's talk about the next section because this this is this is really this will really take us home. Screw tape unpacks. I would call it the process of sinning. Uh, in the Epistle of James, he talks about a, a process of, of mm -hmm. sinning where the thought is conceived and it grows and develops and gives birth to death. Well, Screwtape does his own little version of that. And he seems to credit the patients with quite a significant amount of innocence in the early stages. He says, in each individual choice of what the enemy would call the wrong turning, such creatures are at first hardly, if at all, in a state of full spiritual responsibility. Mm. They do not understand either the source or the real character of the prohibitions they are breaking. Mm. Yeah, that's a. I think it would be wrong of us to just spend a bunch of time in this kind of podcast to talk about all the ins and outs of that and to ask the question about our own and really turn to our, the question of our own moral responsibility and spiritual responsibility. Are we aware? Are we awake? Are we doing the thing? Right. And this can be vi vice as well as virtue, mm. right? Like rolling, you know, the beads between the fingers, the lowering of the needs, the saying of the Our Father, the saying of grace, you know, the taking of communion, the, the moving in and out of the pew, opening to hymn number 192, uh, I don't know, ladling soup, right? I'm, I'm talking about good things, right? Yeah, you know, are we fully responsible for, for that? Scootape says that we're very easily influenced by our surroundings. He says their consciousness hardly exists apart from the social atmosphere that surrounds them. Mm. And as we found out in the Scootape letters, the devils do their best work, really best work, when they also muddle our language. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He says, and of course, we have contrived that their very language should be all smudge and blur. Mm. What would be a bribe in someone else's profession is a tip or a present in theirs. Yeah. We're really in a jargonistic moment at the beginning oh, of this absolutely. third decade of the third millennium. And, and I don't even want to give examples right now because they're all so charged and they're much more charged in the United States than, than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it, it is important to note that when I say certain words, people just kind of fall into all kinds of lines and categories and reactions mm -hmm. by just the, the the power of the enchantment of the word, right? The word or the slogan. The word, the slogan, an image, a hat, uh, a pin, um, a tweet, a pinned tweet. I think a, a breath is needed in our cultural moments. Um, I, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not uh, in the middle, or I'm not at least, I'm not unaffected by these things. So I'm not, I'm not being bland about the important moments of, of t uh, the important social movements of today. I'm actually quite passionate about these things. But in the way that we use words, in the way that we speak, uh, I don't think we can win by jargon. I don't think we can create goodness through bullying. I don't think we can create uh, beauty uh, by a show of uh, force. I don't think we can uh, create justice uh, by, through injustice. And I don't think we can tell truth, um, make, make truth without telling it. And so I think it's really kind of an important uh, thought, the, the way that you brought this out in the text here, is that when we talk about moral or spiritual responsibility, awakeness, then I think that, that, uh, that, I think that we need to take a breath and understand 
and think about the words we use and the words we receive in this way. And not consign our deepest thoughts to a short tweet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I tweet. I'm a tweeter, a Twitterer. I, I'm not against it. I actually, and I, I'm not against like, I don't know, posters, motivational posters on Instagram. In some ways, I think that these silly, you know, a picture of a flower with a smile on it saying, look bright today. I, I don't know. Like, that's... I used to make fun of that kind of stuff, and I think, gee, it's 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 got to be better than a lot of what's out there, right? And, Thousand percent. You know, like I I I'll I'll even say, watch videos of cats or dogs on YouTube, babies. Mm-hmm. One of the intriguing technological moments is that censorship used to come through reducing access through removal of the message, right? So, I burn the book. I take down the website, something like that. Now, censorship in the way that the most effective people that are trying to do it, which aren't usually governments exactly, but like social movements, uh, uh, troll farms, that kind of thing, is actually done through white noise. What they do is they create a a series of nudges uh, through just sheer volume of messaging. And it doesn't matter if it's on their side or against their side or something else that moves you ultimately towards feeling this, <laughs> buying this, uh, being disgusted by this, uh, you know, you know, uh, voting this way uh, or believing what are sometimes pretty crazy things about what's going on in the world. And that's so interesting that it's censorship, not by removal, but by too many words. Noise. noise 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 no music right <laughs> there's no yeah. melody in it that's something like that just blows me away and so i take i take these i have to take these tech sabbaths for myself just to kind of survive because i i live I, I work in social media on social media and so i have to take these tech sabbaths they're hard to maintain they're hard to carve out but necessary <laughs> but necessary okay so scootape says people start sending their not always really aware of it. They're sort of just get, getting carried along by the stream. Uh, the, the devils help blur and smudge their language. He then says it's the job of the tempters to harden these choices of the Hellwood Roads into a habit by steady repetition. Hmm. And here we come to what we've, the yes. drum that we've been beating in the Screwtip Letters on yeah. habit. Habit. And he then says, but then, and this was all important, to turn the habit into a principle. Yeah. A principle the creature is prepared to defend. After that, all will go well. Yeah, that's right. So temptation, sin, habit. And then you have an opportunity because you will awaken to the habit eventually. But if you turn the habit actually not into something you need to try and fight or even mm-hmm. live with, but actually something that, that's central to who you are, then that's so so intriguing, right? And it's so insidious, right? Like it's it's just like it's it's what are our habits, right? Like you know, it's it's not it's not just these big political or social moments that we have. We're talking about like just our everyday lives, the things we reach for by by habit. This is the thing that I've been trying to do in the last few months is awaken to the choices that I'm making as I make them. Mm. Right? And you know, I'm, it's lunchtime. I'll eat. Okay. Well, what, <laughs> what, what is that? Right. What, what is that sort of thing? And and what's happening in that moment? Uh, and um, I was diagnosed uh, recently with ADHD. And so usually this happens when you're a teenager or a young adult. But apparently, I'm 
and this was no surprise to my family or friends, but anyway, so <laughs> probably to, to some of the people that read my stuff. But, you know, and what was interesting in this, in the therapy that I'm on is that all of a sudden these things that I do are choices in a way that they weren't before. Like I'm awakening mm-hmm. and, and thinking about things. And, and that's such a, a, uh, a strange reality. And so, whereas at one point we, you know, we might have a social commitment to this, right, or a spiritual commitment to this, or a moral commitment to this, or a economic commitment to this. You know, what's at the root of those? And so, I think it's important to always stop here and turn the knife on ourselves in this moment because of where this is going in, in the argument to the question of grace in our lives, right, is really the key. And I, I won't, I can't do that for for other people, but for me, it's really been that. It's not so much that I made things from a habit into a principle, but I made things from a habit into an identity for myself. Mm. And that that was my danger. And I would say self-examination is good on this one because Mm -hmm. when you get commentary external to you, you immediately turn it into a principle and trying to defend it. Oh, yeah. When, sure. when a spouse comments on a habit <laughs> that you have, you immediately try and defend it. Put the toothpaste on. No, I, <laughs> I left it off to save time later. Well, exactly. I meant to. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, that doesn't mean anything. You know, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Oh, spouses. People we live with, all kinds of people we live with are just so annoying for knowing kind of who we are and for accidentally bringing it up at any particular moment without even meaning to it's you got to watch yep. that yeah shining a light on us yeah that's right screw tape says that humans initially have an instinct to conform to their social environment he said in the beginning we just get carried on along and that that kind of continues and this is where he compares them to jelly or jello or jello here yeah whatever they call it in your part of the world that that we naturally want to conform to our mold However, he says that this instinct needs to be converted into an unacknowledged creed. And once this has happened, uh, they'll call the law that they're breaking as convention or Puritan or bourgeois morality. Mm. And we've spoken about Screwtape's use of the word Puritan before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting moment. Uh, of course, today we would say something else, right? Like conservatives circling the wagons, cancel culture, uh, social justice warriors, or something like that. Like uh, that's that's in this again this in the, in this context. And if you're listening from Europe or another part of the world, that won't make any sense. And you can apply it to your own space. Uh, Lewis was kind of a recoverer of Puritans in a sense. Like he actually didn't find Puritans nearly as puritanical as most of the people that he worked with. And so he keeps playing with it as a term, but he also keeps wanting to defend the Puritans as not being quite as puritanical as we think. But I think in 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 our culture, we do have a temptation to kind of pull people off their seats and stone them in the digital streets. <laughs> and I think that what we're going to see in this moment, this is not the temptation as much for us. What we're going to see actually as a reaction to this in the next three, two, three, four, five years, whenever is we're going to say, like, people are just going to say, I just don't want to live like that anymore in that intense moment. And so then they'll go the opposite way and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard all that before. Oh, yeah, whatever. You know, that's just, and then insert the label or the the logo, right? Yeah. 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 I think we we have that coming more than we have that right now. I I think you're probably right. Hmm. Now, Sutate then talks about what I would call heavenly and hellish creatures. He says that over time, 
uh, this this mindset will come calcified. He says, gradually there comes to exist at the center of the creature a hard, tight, settled core of resolution to go on being what it is and even to resist moves that might tend to alter it. Mm. Yeah. He says it's small, but it holds great promise. Screwtape even compares it to a young cancer. <laughs> Which he says in very loving terms. Yeah, yeah. For him, that's great. Yeah. That's great. He's more than happy yeah, to, yeah. To, to have that fester. Yeah, I mean, growth is, isn't just like always healthy. Like I'm uh, trying in, to plant my seedlings in the windowsills here in Canada's spring, and it's always hard in our growing season. So I'm like trying to get the little green thing to grow, and you can see kind of screw tape working on the uh, on our uh, on our habits and move them into resolutions and frameworks of thought so that they kind of grow in the same kind of way. Well, and cancer grows that way too, right? Yeah. yeah and he says, over time, there will at last be a real and deliberate, though not fully articulated, rejection of what the enemy calls grace. Mm. And that's it. I mean, I think that ultimately, we, we probably don't see as he's building up to that point, and Lewis doesn't use the word grace a lot in his writings, but this is kind of the key point is, is we have in all of these things, so temptations, sins, habits, and then calcification of habits. In all of that, we have the Holy Spirit's supporting us, provoking us, you know, inviting us, all that kind of stuff. And we have grace, forgiveness, and those sorts of things. And so what screw tape needs is for us to be able to deliberately reject. I don't need forgiveness for this. Mm -hmm. I don't need no, it's like you don't understand. I don't need space here because it's not my problem. It's your problem. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of language he wants to come from us. I mean, I think it's too easy to go to maybe, but we see this sometimes with addicts, the way they protect and and grow their, their addiction and then create this space around themselves. You know, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. Mm. Um, and, and that can be all kinds of addictions. And, and I think um, with with my, my blessing to those that that struggle in addiction, that the the metaphor, the word picture works pretty powerfully there, you know. And then Screwtape begins to wrap up this section of his toast by saying that because of everything that he said, they're going to continue to win lots of souls. And this is a credit to the tempters, but there's no danger of famine, but the souls will be pretty tasteless. <laughs> and he offers this consolation. He says that great sinners might not appear as often, but likewise, the same will be true for saints. They will, great saints will also grow rarer. And he, he also says that people will just become more sheep-like because they'll be just more lukewarm. Yeah. He says, our catches will be even more numerous. They will consist increasingly of trash. Trash which we should once have thrown to Cerberus and the hellhounds as unfit for diabolical consumption. <laughs> I always think that's funny in Harry Potter with the three-headed dog that's that's uh, Fluffy, I think it was. No, that's, I can't remember. Yeah, Fluffy or something. Anyway, a, a good joke to Cerberus, Cerberus the three-headed hellhound uh, who guarded the gates of, of um, the underworld, the Greek world, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of an intriguing thing. I, I, I've been wondering about this. Is, it, is, is his premise true that it's the same stock that gives us the great saints and sinners? Well, he does say in the Screwtape Letters that you've got to have some virtue mm -hmm. to be a really good sinner. 
you're going to have to have a little bit of fortitude or courage. You got to have courage. If commitment. If you're going to be a Hitler, got to be a fall <laughs> you know, fall through it. Uh, you know, genocide's actually really tough to pull off. Yeah. So you got to have creativity, ingenuity, innovation, systems management. Right. So. And, and don't we see? similar things in people say when they convert mm. from Saul to St. Paul, mm. that when we see somebody who's done tremendous harm, often when they convert, they then do tremendous good yeah. because they turn the gifts and talents that they had before, those the, the raw materials, as Lewis would call it, yeah. and put it towards the service of a different end. Mm. Let's, let's make it even a little more dangerous here. So imagine you're a, a parent, a uh, a friend of many, like a hospitality person, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, a, a great um, social worker in the city, and uh, you fall in a in a harmful way. I mean, think of the 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 damage that the just the single action or a single set of actions does. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, there's a destruction that that uh, then ripples out greater than um, maybe maybe greater maybe not greater than the benefit, but certainly. In those that it affects, it has a canceling or a counteracting effect, right? Yeah. I mean, at the time of recording, there have been some quite prominent both church figures and uh, professional apologists who have you know, fallen from grace. And the damage that that does is significant. Yeah. And I'd even say just for the person in themselves, say if they deconvert, some of the most effective apologists for atheism that I've listened to, they've typically been ex-Christians because they actually have some idea of what we believe. Mm. If I'm listening to an atheist apologist who clearly doesn't actually understand what we believe, it's much easier to dismiss. But when they are accurately describing what I believe and when they are talking about uh, accounts that actually happen in in the Bible and when they're actually talking about uh, scribal differences and all these other things, when they're actually know what they're talking about they are they're much more challenging to my position yeah i think i think then there is something to say about screwtape's phrase then that the toothsome sinners are made from the same material as the horrible phenomenon called the great saints right Mm -hmm. and so i do think that that i I don't want to push it too far but there's really something there that exists um in that and and then i do i do like Screwtape's kind of always awareness that at any moment, if you keep kind of pushing someone uh, in the hellbound ways, at any moment they could just awake and say, "What? What am I doing here? Mm. Like, what? What have I done? Or what? What are we doing here?" That's a terribly dangerous position from a demonic perspective, right? In letter one, he talks about they want the path with no sudden turnings, the, yeah. the easy road, no no sudden changes. You basically want to lull people asleep. Yeah, that's right. It's the. I think when I was younger, I, I wasn't. A, I didn't grow up in a in church environment, and so I was a young adult convert. And early in my years, I think the transformations, the most effective transformations, were kind of passionate outpourings of the soul, or something like that, uh, and often in a sense of uh, spiritual need. Later, like in as I grew, they really were places that I, I slowly or suddenly awoke to something that had been going on for some time, like a hum that you haven't heard at first, but that's steadily going louder. And 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 so I think I think the for, for me that's why the the image of the frog in the kettle, like the fr- frog that jumps into a hot 
pot will jump right out, but the frog that's sitting in tepid water that slowly gets hotter could could die and, and burn to death. And so, I think that that I think my soul is in some danger of that of not always awakening. And so I, um, so for me that would be the the thing. And that was what Screwtape wants for you, mm. because in, there's a letter where he says you've got to protect your patient. He's in a good state at the moment. Yeah. We need to we need to get him on for another forty years. Uh, let him feel like he's finding his place in the world when it is really finding its place in him. So yeah. either, either either through that kind of wooing of the world or just being repeatedly broken upon the rocks of tragedy, or one or the other. That for a certain kind of person, that for Screwtape is a much more effective strategy. Yeah, and I think it gives an image for us. I mean, that next phrase, like he didn't create these humans. He did not become one of them and die among them by torture in order to produce candidates for limbo. Failed humans. He wants them to be saints, gods, things like himself, right? So like that, I think, is kind of on in the upside down. Like there he is inspiring us to imagine what our potential vision is. The, um, I think I don't know if you mentioned the weight of glory. I think you did. And there's, uh, you know, you, you're always walking among, you know, gods, right? Or, yep. you know, there's this awareness for Lewis of the potential of what a transformed soul, what a transformed person could be. And I think that's uh, hits it in this particular moment of the letter of the, the toast. Yeah, at the end of Weight of Glory, he mm. says that it might be possible to think too much about your own future glory, but it's not possible to think too much about the future glory of your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And he was a little, and Lewis is a little, we should know that this will sound funny. Lewis is a little resistant to self-reflection. He thinks that the habit of self-reflection can become kind of like self, uh, like a circle, like an echo chamber, or actually kind of like uh, obsessive, right? So I, yeah. he is a bit cautious about that, but only because his primary foundational idea is that actually Christian life isn't about doing a bunch of things, but giving your whole life, which will then be transformed, right? And looking outwards to God and neighbor. <laughs> That's right, right? At the end of mere Christianity, he doesn't want part of yourself. It's the whole thing, right? Mm. And then when you you've given everything, you've died following Christ on the cross into self-death, uh, following God's self-giving, then you're awakened to this new being. We're awakened to this new being. Um, and, and then we have the business of of looking around and seeing what's going on and doing these things. And so, so I think for Lewis, he was kind of freed from self-reflection when he became a Christian. For, for many of us in our busy world, we're actually invited to self-reflection by uh, the screw tape toast. Hmm. That actually nicely ties in with the final thing that Screwtape says in the part of the toast that we're reading today. When you have all of these lukewarm people, when you have fewer great sinners, but also fewer great saints, then the general mass of people, it becomes much more easy to control them since they lose all of their individuality. He says, every dictator or even demagogue, almost every film star or crooner can now draw tens of thousands of human sheep with him. They give themselves what there is of them, to him, to, in him, to us. There may come a time when we shall have no need to bother about individual temptation at all, except for the few. Catch the bellwether, and his whole flock comes with him. Yeah. yeah. When I grew up, uh, we had, I was a cow farmer, a Holstein, we had a Holstein farm, and so we would call the cows. But if the cows didn't come, it was all because of one cow. There's always we did. They didn't need a bell. So like uh, Holsteins at least, but I think many dairy cows have these leaders that they follow, 
And then there's some crisis when the leadership changes and they figure it out. And so, yeah, so we had this bellwether. And so we just have to find that one and say, what's the deal? And bring her in, right? And then everybody else would would follow. We never had to herd cows. They always came for the milking. And, and did they also have a, a bell, a literal bell around them? Yeah, we didn't need it. Like, like it was that kind of powerful uh, that you just didn't need it. Once you had the one the senior cow kind of in place um, and uh, or sometimes like a bully young heifer would do it. And so the, the you know, I, I can see this image. I can see the line of black and white Holsteins, you know, trailing down the path from the field to the barn uh, in this particular way. But I think it is better to go back to sheep, you know, no, yeah, go back to sheep, but they're not going to the shearing. They're going to the, to the butcher. So I think the, the line is interesting. And so I, yeah, I don't know what, I think our culture wants to be this kind of people that, we follow these uh, influencers of various kinds. I was just going to say we have an, a specialized term. Oh, for we have it. a specialized term for it. Uh, you know, influencers. I don't know where that will go, because it, that's a lot of that's just foundationalists. I would say it's dangerous for the same yeah. reason that we spoke about. You know, clergy that fall, yeah. apologists that fall. Uh, you know, it caused a really great conversation. Say when Chris Pratt explained that he was now a Christian. There were some really great conversations that come out of that. But when you have somebody who, you know, if you put them up on a pedestal, they might fall down. Yeah. And in the Catholic Church, we talk about the sin of scandal. Yeah, sure. When somebody does fall from grace, it does impact more than just themselves. Yeah. 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 That, oh, I'm reading uh, Maria Doria Russell's The Sparrow, which is about uh, Jesuit mission, um, inter, intergalactic mission or interstellar um, mission and, and, and the fall of a great figure there. And it's a hard, hard thing, right? Uh, our churches, North American churches history with the peoples of this land, you know, it's just, how do we, do we speak with confidence to a people we've betrayed? It's just hard. It's just, and so I would also caution that on the positive side, I think our culture, at least evangelical culture, I don't know about a Catholic or small community culture, but like there is this seeming desire in American culture for like, oh, well, if there can be a great convert, mm-hmm. right? If we, we just need a C.S. Lewis, we just need a Billy Graham, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I hope we have lots of them. I think, I think our, our lives are always fuller by people with certain kinds of imaginative greatness, right? Or, or maybe there was even a lot of kind of hope about Pope Francis. Jordan Peterson? Right. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you say Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Canadian yeah. Jordan Peterson. Um, I think you said Eugene Peterson. He was a much more quiet figure. But yeah, we have these, uh, each community has some of these figures that are helpful to them. Um, turning them to superstars is a different story. I don't know. I think we're in a moment where those people aren't there for a reason. And I don't think that God has forgotten uh, that we actually need to be drawn into deeper wells. Uh, and I think those wells are available, but they're just not available in the ways that some other public intellectual public figure wells have been at the past. And I think it's a good moment for us to to, to realize that there is that danger of following kind of the great figure. Um, yeah, like I hope there's another C.S. Lewis. I think there probably is, and we're just not paying attention because uh, we're distracted. And so, yeah, so I think there's a caution on both sides, not just the side of sin, but the side of this kind of hope. As it turns out, the most powerful thing that we can probably do is love our neighbor on our street, whether that's a physical vocational or digital reality for us. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's in this generation after 
the you know great awakenings are over as culture is changing that's the most powerful thing that we can do and the, the most cross-like thing that exists for us i think centuries of calcutta said something to the effect of if you want to build the kingdom go home and love your family yeah that's right yeah can you imagine how many people showed up at her door to help out yeah right and then just clean the bathroom or was sent home you know or sent back you know how many orphanages did you walk by to get here or whatever yeah i don't know so yeah the as it turns out for me it's way easier to like say something smart alecky on twitter than it is to actually go and love my neighbors so so i'm not going to follow the advice i just said <laughs> <laughs> well as we close today's episode uh do you have any other thoughts about what we've read or what we've got to look forward to in coming weeks yeah i think it's i think this was this was really helpful to me i know this is supposed to be for everybody that's listening out there in <laughs> podcast land we make these pods uh for you i think and I think that's what I had in my mind when I sat down. This was really helpful as a close read for me, David. This was really good to kind of get to the text in a way that I hadn't before. Because I started by saying at the beginning of episode one of the series that we need to be thinking about the us in the text, the me in the text, rather than pointing fingers or looking back to the 50s and 60s or something like that. And I found this really effective. And so I would encourage people after this series is done, if you're still kind of struggling through the text, grab a handful of people, meet on Zoom, meet on or whatever video uh, technology is available when you're hearing this, meet in a cafe if such things exist in, in the future world, <laughs> uh, meet with your church or family or something, and just spend time talking about the lines. This is a good, this is a better text, close read for me than it was in each of the times I've sort of breezed through it or struggled with it on my own. So I appreciate mm. that. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I ask this uh, of every guest. Where can people go to find out more about you? Sure, sure. I'm I'm available on Instagram where I do occasionally put pictures of a cat or a pretty flower or something to make uh, brighten the day <laughs> or usually uh, some foible that I've done. Is, I'm afraid that's what my Instagram's account been. So just search my name there at Brenton Dana on Twitter. You can find most of my writing on uh, pilgrimandnarnia.com. Uh, you can also find some of the background stuff about Screwtape there as well. I think it's all searchable. So that's that's where I'm at. And, I, and I'll have updates you know, about you know, public lectures or books or whatever on, on there. So that's the best way to connect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm pleased to do it. <laughs> And thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our top tier supporters, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Monique, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. As always, we can be found on our website, pintsforjack.com, as well as on all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and MySpace. And join us next time when we'll continue going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.